Welcome to AJHP Voices, now comprising interviews on contemporary pharmacy issues and discussions with AJHP authors. AJHP is the official journal of ASHP. Hello, this is William Zelmer for AJHP Voices. I'm speaking with one of the authors of a paper entitled Recommendations for Selecting Drug-Drug Interactions for Clinical Decision Support. With me is Dr. Daniel Malone, who is Professor, Department of Pharmacy Practice and Science, University of Arizona, College of Pharmacy, Tucson. Dan, it is clear from your numerous articles that you have a longstanding interest in drug-drug interactions. How did you come to select this focus in your scholarly work? Well, Bill, it was really serendipitous in that I kind of stumbled into this area when I was responding to a request for proposals from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention oh, about 14 years ago. They were looking at trying to identify a small subset of drug interactions that would be important to identify for prescribers respect to their importance, they recognized at that point in time that the issue of overalerting was going to go from the pharmacy upstream to the physician, and they were concerned about the alerts being overwhelming as they are today with respect to drug interactions, and they're looking at that point in time trying to identify which ones that would be the most important to tell physicians about. I see. Well, uh, the article we're discussing here makes it clear that this was part of a larger project. Could you give us a, a brief overview of that project? Sure. This project was an initiative of the University of Arizona, myself and colleagues, where we were trying to identify attributes of drug interaction information and also ways to represent this information to practitioners. We've been working for several years trying to tackle the problem of giving valid information to practitioners at the time that a medication is ordered and also to pharmacists at the time medication is dispensed in a manner that would best protect patient safety and at the same time not create the problem that we have now where the alerts are largely, well, I hate to say it, but ignored. Our research to date has demonstrated that the override rates are really, really high, even for interactions that shouldn't be overridden. And this particular paper is one of three papers that we have produced as a part of this conference grant. And the conference grant covered three major topic areas. One was how do we evaluate the evidence for drug interactions? Two, what interactions should be included, and that's the focus of this particular paper, or at least a process for identifying those interactions. And the third paper was, how do we make this usable and, more importantly, intelligible to the practitioner that receiving the alerts or receiving the notifications in a clinical decision support system? You mentioned uh, you received a conference grant for this. Explain that a little bit. So the Agency for Healthcare Research and Quality is a federal agency that examines the safety and quality of medicine in general. And they have a mechanism to support a variety of different research topics in a conference series, meaning it allows experts to come together to evaluate a particular attribute of, of medicine. 
and to hopefully come up with some recommendations on what should be done next. Myself and several of my colleagues at the University of Arizona put together a request to the agency to receive funding for this particular uh, process. We also received support from various drug knowledge database vendors for this particular endeavor. So it was not just a federal supported activity, but it was a public-private partnership with both the Agency for Healthcare Research and Quality providing the initial funds and additional support provided by various drug knowledge database vendors and other software organizations. Well, Dan, you've commented a little on this, but I'm curious, do you have anything to add about the nature and magnitude of the problems associated with drug-drug interaction alerts in clinical practice today? Well, we know that from previous literature and literature that has been published within the last 18 months or so, that upwards of 90% of drug-drug interaction alerts are overridden. We don't know if that is a situation where the practitioner completely acknowledges what's happening, but we also know that when we look at rates of drug pairs that should not be used together, actually being used according to claims databases, what have you, we see that this problem is fairly large. A lot of patients are exposed to potential harm when, in fact, we know that uh, those drug pairs may cause a problem for those patients. So I, I couldn't put a total number of lives at risk here, but I would say that the magnitude is fairly substantial. Well, Dan, is it possible to generalize about the process used for including drug-drug interaction information and alerts in the electronic systems used today for prescribing and dispensing medicines? The vast majority of alerts that are provided today are based upon several drug interaction knowledge databases. Those databases evaluate the literature and come up with recommendations with respect to how serious the problem is. And they tend to categorize drug interactions as being problematic or not. Most of the systems tend to rely on just a few uh, particular vendors that provide these systems to pharmacies and to electronic prescribing systems. The evidence that's used by these systems is developed or generated by a primary literature, a case report, various pharmacokinetic studies. Occasionally, we see some clinical studies. But by and large, the evidence that has been generated heretofore has been not necessarily systematic with regards to how it's evaluated and also not systematic with respect to how it's integrated into these drug uh, knowledge databases. Mm -hmm. I will say that because there are so many medications that are on the market today and the potential for interactions is substantial, it is challenging to keep up with all of the evidence that would be associated with these drug interactions. Mm -hmm. That said, we think that there's a fair amount of discrepancy across the systems. So what one drug database produces as being an important list of medications to avoid may not be the same list that another vendor would produce. And one of the goals of our conference series in this particular paper is to come up with a process to standardize the way that that evidence is evaluated and then applied in these systems. Well, Dan, before we get into uh, some of the specifics uh, in your paper, 
published in AJHP. Let me ask, to whom are the recommendations in this paper directed? I would say that they're directed at a variety of healthcare practitioners and organizations. The main focus of the paper is to provide the healthcare community with a method forward in terms of trying to solve this problem. So we envision individuals such as informaticists who are pharmacists working in healthcare systems, chief medical information officers, drug knowledge database vendors, and drug information centers, and even individual pharmacists might find value in the recommendations that we provide in this particular paper. Your broadest recommendation seems to be the one calling for a standardized national process for creating and maintaining a standard set of clinically relevant drug-drug interactions for clinical decision support systems. How would a process like that work? The committee that uh, wrote this particular paper recommends that we assemble a panel of experts from across the country that would evaluate the evidence for particular drug pairs and then put out a recommendation as to what should occur in uh, electronic systems, clinical decision support systems with respect to those drug pairs, trying to remove the ambiguity that currently goes with many of the alert systems with respect to what is important and what is not important and also quantifying the evidence that goes with that particular drug interaction recommendation. We would hope that this expert panel, if created and and supported, would be the definitive source on which drug interactions would be included in clinical decision support systems. Your group of authors identified seven types of information that should be included in a knowledge base of standard drug-drug interactions. Let's look at your point related to classifying the seriousness as opposed to severity of interactions. Could you discuss that recommendation? Most drug interaction reference systems currently talk about the problem associated with two drug pairs with respect to its, quote, severity. And many organizations use ratings or adjectives such as major, minor, moderate, contraindicated, and they define this in terms of what they call severity. We evaluated the specific terminology and came up with the conclusion, based upon the work of others, that the notion of severity is really the wrong notion here. Let me explain that. A severe headache is certainly a problem for a patient but may not be life-threatening, but a serious medical condition is defined by the FDA and other regulatory bodies, is something that can result in harm to the patient that may be permanent. So we are recommending moving away from the term severity to the term seriousness to note the consequences associated with drug interactions. We hope that this movement to the term serious would allow the practitioner to interpret this in respect to how to manage that particular drug interaction in a more meaningful manner. What did your group of authors recommend with respect to what an electronic prescribing or dispensing system should say about the action that a practitioner should take in response to a drug interaction alert? Yeah, we are recommending that 
not only should the practitioner be informed that there's a problem, but then how to manage that particular problem. So what are the alternatives for them to consider in terms of managing that particular issue? Many of the systems basically tell the practitioner that there's a problem, but doesn't tell them how to deal with the problem. So our panel did recommend that alerting systems not only tell the practitioner that we have an issue with this particular drug pair being used, but what are some of the ways that one could avoid particular harm that might be caused by this drug pair? That might be selecting a different medication. That may include monitoring of the combination. It may include changing the dose or route of administration. So all of those things could be used to help mitigate harm. And it would be useful for clinical distance and support systems to provide that information to practitioners when an alert is provided to them. Briefly, what did your group conclude with respect to the creation of an authoritative list of contraindicated drug pairs? Contraindicated indicates that two medications should not be used because the risk of harm outweighs the benefits. When we examined how some of the systems evaluate drug pairs and apply the label of contraindicated, we reached the conclusion rather quickly that there are many situations where even though the pair is labeled as being contraindicated, there could be a benefit to the patient by administering those drug pairs. So our group recommended that the term contraindicated be used in a very limited fashion. Instead of being used to indicate that this pair may cause a serious problem, that we should use this term contraindicated to reflect those situations only when there are no situations where the two drug pairs could be used safely. We think this is a relatively small set of drug pairs, and we're encouraging the Food and Drug Administration and others to avoid the use of the term contraindicated unless it meets the criteria that I just specified. Well, you mentioned uh, the Food and Drug Administration here. Uh, One of the things I'm curious about is, more broadly, what are the implications of your work for FDA-approved labeling of medicines? Are there other examples you can give where uh, your work here might have some impact on labeling? Yeah, there are a number of places where we hope that uh, the recommendations that come out of this work group will help the FDA with respect to labeling. The contraindication issue is one particular place where we'd hope that was the case. The other is the notion of class effects. We know that sometimes when a product is being developed and coming to the market, that it may look similar to other medications in a therapeutic class. But we also recognize that there are situations where the label has included class interactions, which are really not relevant. And the classic example I would give here is with the macrolide antibiotics Azithromycin is metabolized differently than its cousins, erythromycin or clarithromycin. And erythromycin and clarithromycin are potent 3A4 inhibitors, whereas azithromycin is not a potent inhibitor and doesn't seem to have the same drug interactions as the other two. Therefore, we would recommend that the FDA be careful about assigning a class interaction effect to a medication until there's substantial evidence to suggest that that is the case. Right. Dan, in some practice settings, there have been efforts to filter drug interaction alerts to minimize alert fatigue. From your perspective, is that a wise thing to do? It is a challenging thing to do, to filter alert. And when we looked at the evidence to suggest what might be good practices for filtering, 
we found very little evidence that we could rely on to say that filtering is or is not a good practice. The most important thing about the process of filtering alerts is that we think that this should be a, a process that is done carefully, if it's done at all, that it would best be done by involving a committee that would evaluate each drug pair and whether or not that pair should be alerted or not. And then we'd also recommend that individuals study the consequences of filtering if they do decide to filter alerts. We know that some healthcare systems tend to filter alerts based upon severity ratings. And as I alluded to earlier, those severity ratings are somewhat subjective. So one should be careful about turning off all, say, moderate drug interaction alerts because there might be a drug interaction alert that in their particular setting would be important to let practitioners know about. Dan, I'm curious, from the perspective of the producers of drug information databases and the electronic uh, prescribing and dispensing systems, to what extent does concern about legal liability influence their approach to drug interaction alerts? Unfortunately, Bill, I think the legal liability is the elephant in the room. The drug knowledge database vendors are very concerned about their legal liability and therefore tend to be over-inclusive with respect to which drug interactions to include in their databases. That is the impetus for creating this national expert panel that would evaluate these particular drug pairs. It might give the drug knowledge database vendors a little bit of protection with respect to liability. We know of a paper that examined this particular issue, it found no cases where a drug knowledge database vendor had been held liable for failing to warn about a particular drug interaction pair. That doesn't mean that drug knowledge database vendors haven't been successfully sued because suit could be settled out of court without it being noted in the legal community. But the liability issue is an important issue to consider, although we think that the consequences with respect to particular drug database vendors being held liable is probably overstated. Well, Dan, if we think about some of the broader, more far-reaching recommendations in this paper, such as uh, the recommendation calling for a standardized national process for creating and maintaining a standard set of clinically relevant drug-drug interactions, what are the prospects for anyone assuming responsibility for moving in that direction, for setting up such a process? I'm not sure, Bill, what the uh, prospects are at this point in time. I think that there is a lot of inertia in the medical community right now to try to solve this particular issue. I think the CDC was correct in that the problem was going to go upstream to practitioners and with meaningful use, incorporating drug interactions as one of its criteria uh, through the Office of the National Coordinator, that the notion of drug interactions as a patient safety component has fueled the debate about which drug interactions to include. So I'm hopeful that over time we'll be able to solve this problem. You know, I spent the last 14 years working on various issues related to this problem and we seem to be making some headway, although path from here is far from clear. Do you think it'll require some uh, federal initiative of some type for it to make this happen? Or is there a, 
some hopefulness that private interests would get together and uh, support something like this. I'm not sure as to what extent we would have support at the federal level as the Affordable Health Care Act uh, implementation funds wind down, I see fewer dollars available for health information technology on the table today. That said, I see some interest on the vendor side of the equation to perhaps move this process forward. I'm hopeful that this could be a public-private partnership or a federal partnership. Unfortunately, the mechanisms for obtaining funds for this type of activity is not exactly well described or um, available within the current funding mechanisms established by the National Institutes of Health or Agency for Healthcare Research and Quality or other groups. This has been a discussion with Dr. Daniel Malone of the University of Arizona College of Pharmacy about an AJHP paper on recommendations for selecting drug-drug interactions for clinical decision support. For AJHP Voices, this is William Zomer. Thank you for listening. That concludes this interview. For more information about AJHP, please visit www.ajhp.org.